don't need no introduction. All right, once you open your Bible, please, the book of 1 Timothy, chapter number 1. I enjoyed all these messages. I appreciate these young men. And I appreciate the privilege to preach to them tonight. Now, fellas, y'all don't know this maybe, but he told me to charge y'all. And if I'm going to charge you, I've got to hook up both cables. I never thought of that before. That'll work, won't it? Charger won't work if it's just got all positive. <laughs> hey, I like that. Amen. And it won't work if it's all negative either. But I hope I, I hope God will hook up both both cables tonight and you let God do what He wants to do and speak to our heart and His Word. And I want to make this statement very clear. I want you to hear me. What I'm fixing to say to these preachers tonight is applicable to every person here. Every person here. And I want you to let God speak to you. I am not just charging them. I'm charging every one of us from the Word of God, but especially to them tonight. And it's good to be here. Thank you, church, for praying for me. I'm doing well as far as I know. Our recovery is going on on schedule, and I'm getting back in gear. I've been in meetings now, I believe, three weeks uh, already. And so I praise the Lord for the privilege I have of serving Him. But I appreciate you praying for us. And you pray that God will continue to restore us completely into what He wants us to be. Can I just make this statement also? Pray for my daughter, Rachel. Rachel has had absolutely the worst week she's had in her life this last week. An attack that uh, just really put her down. In fact, she's not even able to walk now. Amanda, she knows how to communicate with you. She's just getting up and getting on the walker and scooting her feet across the floor. Hold on. Do pray for her. God, and touch her and bless her. And the Lord's will be done. If you don't know who I'm talking about, that's my youngest daughter, Rachel. She's had a rare disease for 17 years, and it's really taken its toll on her. Now, she has very few good days. Will you pray for her? God, and bless her. And the Lord's will be done. All right. Second Timothy chapter number, First Timothy chapter number 1. I don't know how many verses have gone through my mind, and I'd like to cover a whole bunch of them tonight. I'd like to preach about ten times to these preachers, and to you as well, but I'm not going to. But I want you to listen that God speak to your heart. I want to read verse number 11 and verse number 12, and use it as a beginning place tonight in the message. First Timothy chapter number 1, verse 11, and verse number 12. Now, I know I'm cutting right in the middle of the sentence, but it's a long sentence, so I want to just use this that I want to deal with tonight. The Bible said, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, now notice this, which was committed to my trust. Verse 12, he said, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, watch this, who hath enabled me. And then watch this, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Let me make this statement, lest I forget it later, that last statement. Out to humble every man that has been called of God. The fact that God counted us faithful. He didn't call us because we was faithful. We weren't faithful when He called us. But He counted us to be faithful, as we have said today. And then He put me, He put you, if you're a God-called preacher, in the ministry. To be put in the ministry by the King of kings and the Lord of lords is sure enough an humbling thought. Let's pray. Then you can be seated while I preach this evening. Our precious Heavenly Father, again, dear Lord, tonight in the throne of grace and mercy, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bow before you in prayer. Lord, I do want to say thank you for the joy of salvation. Thank you, dear Lord, again that you let me hear the gospel. You save me by your grace. You called me to preach. You put me in the ministry. You've kept me there all of these years. And dear Lord, I confess tonight all that I am, wherever I hope to be, I owe it all to Thee. And dear Lord, I pray this evening, Father, as I come to this pulpit with the responsibility that rests upon me tonight, Lord, I pray, Father, that You give me wisdom in every aspect of the message. Help me to know what I need to say as well as to know what I do not need to say in the service tonight. Now, I pray, dear Lord, that you will speak to each individual in the service. I ask you again tonight, Father, may every person here be like young Samuel. May we quieten ourselves before the voice of God tonight and say, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth thee. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight unsaved, I pray you save them by your grace. Lord, bless your people. And again, I thank you for these young preachers that sit before me. And dear Lord, I can call them all young tonight. And I pray, dear Lord, that you will touch their lives. 
I pray, dear Lord, that each of them will become Elisha's. And you will give them a double portion of what you've given me. Oh, God, do a greater work with them than you have in the life of their mentors, their pastors, those that they look up to. Lord, none of us have nearly exhausted the abilities of the grace of God and the miraculous power of His Spirit. Do what you wanted to do, what needs to be done tonight. I pray, your Lord, you speak in a special way. And for everything that you do, I'll give you praise, honor, and glory because I pray it in Jesus' name. For our sake I do pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Do keep your Bible open, please, for the message from the Word of God tonight. Let me very quickly give you just a three-point outline from the text that I read here. That gives me a reason for reading it, doesn't it? And then I want to just talk to you a little while, and then I want to preach in the latter part of the message tonight if I go the way that I feel like uh, the Lord wants me to right now. But I want you to notice three thoughts. Number one, the Bible teaches us here in verse number 11 that the gospel was committed to our trust. If you're making notes, you want to write this down. He entrusted us with a gospel. It is literally like God said, here's my word, go preach it. Awesome responsibility. But not only He entrusted me, but then in verse number 12, thank God, He enabled me. Every preacher that God calls to preach, He enables them to preach. We don't all holler alike. We don't all run alike. We don't all deliver alike. We don't even all look alike. Thank God after what we saw tonight. We don't all look alike. Amen. But God enables us to preach the preaching that God wants us to do. Now, let me make a statement while I'm there to you mean and others as well. One of the greatest crimes against the ministry is you not preaching like God enables you to preach. We're trying to be somebody else and be what God wants you to be, but be your best for the glory of God. Now, I'm not fussing when I say that because I grew up under men that I looked up to. I used to delight in mocking Brother Ed Ballou. I used to delight in telling him to run in my fist about 90 miles an hour. But one day I learned I wasn't Ed, I'm spinning. And, God, and there are some preachers who preach a lack, and if that's natural, I'm not saying that. But I'm simply saying to you, God enable you to preach. And preach as God wants you to. But it ought to be a growing enablement. It ought to be a learning experience. It ought to be a progression in the ministry. And then number three, not only He entrusted me, He enabled me, but the Bible said He employed me. He put me in the ministry. And if He did not put you in the ministry, i got one statement for you. Get out! Now! When I was a boy, they used to call them, Papa called them Mama Sid preachers, and, and we got enough of them around now. But every man of God ought to be able to say that God entrusted me, God enabled me, and God employed me. He put me in the ministry. Now, when you come to those three realizations and you realize you're not your own, you belong to Him. And the goal of our life should be to please Him. And I want to just drop this. I'd like to preach here for 30 minutes, but I'm not going to because I don't feel like it's the Lord's will. I go there. But I thought about preaching tonight. Jesus said, what I said to them, I said to all, watch. Somebody mentioned that earlier tonight. Watch. You say, what are you going to watch? Well, I went over to First Timothy chapter number 6 and I learned, you're going to watch what you follow. Watch what you fight. Watch what you flee. Watch what you feed on. Watch who your friends are. Watch your finances. Watch your family. Watch females. Many great preachers, and I'm not anti-lady, but many great preachers have fallen because... They watch females the wrong way. Watch! You better realize there's an enemy in this thing and the devil's delight 
is a fallen preacher. The devil has nothing he'd like to do better with your life than for you to become a has-been, a used-to-be, a former, an ex, whatever word you want to use. So guard against that. Guide, let God guide you and be that you want to be. Now then, here's what I want to preach on tonight. I want to preach on this thought. When we started the Bible college, God gave us three thoughts. We peeled our basis of the fact of the Bible college on these three thoughts. We felt like if we could give our young men, and I'm going to say them a different order, I'm going to preach them, but if we could give them an, an understanding, a working knowledge of the Scriptures, a working knowledge of the Scriptures, that if we could give them and help them to understand the knowledge of the working of the Holy Spirit. And when you've got an understanding, working knowledge of the Scriptures, and you've got a knowledge of the work of the Holy Spirit, then if you will develop your own personal prayer life, God will make a preacher out of you. And you may be limited, all of us are, you may have your own characteristics even that you don't like. I hope you don't like a lot about you. Too many preachers like too much about themselves. Amen. I like what David said. He said, I shall be satisfied when I awake in His likeness. God help us never to get satisfied before we wake up in glory. Amen. But if you, as a young man, will get a working knowledge of the Scriptures, and you get an understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit, and you develop a prayer life, God can use you in spite of all your inabilities. Amen. And by the way, I want to repeat myself with emphasis. That's great for every person in this building. Amen. Each of you need a knowledge of the working of the knowledge of the work of the Holy Spirit. You need a knowledge, a working knowledge of the Scripture, and you need a personal prayer life. Now, I'm going to deal with prayer first because I feel like that's what the Lord wants me to do. And I'd like to ask you, men, without uh, any really hesitation and yet not being wrong about it, what kind of prayer life have you got? Again, I make this statement for everybody, for them, but to everybody. And, and you may not agree right off, but you've probably been wrong before. Every Christian needs a prayer place. Even in the Old Testament, they built altars. Those that built altars found anchors. Those who did not build altars fell by the wayside into something. The strength of any Christian's life is their attendance to the altar, their altar of prayer. You need an altar place. Let me go ahead and say this while I'm there. And again, if you don't agree with this, please don't get disagreeable. But I believe every Christian ought to have a, not only a prayer place, but you ought to have a prayer list. You ought not come to God in prayer just to say whatever comes to your mind. There ought to be some things on your heart that lay heavy enough that you're going to bring them. You don't have to have it written down now. I don't mean to say that. But you ought to bring those lists to God in constant prayer. By the way, I know God can hear an answer of prayers when we pray one time, but most of our prayers do not get answered the first time we pray over something. So learn to be consistent by bringing that to the Lord and let God work in your life. You need an altar place. You need an altar list. That's not even alliterated. But you need one anyway. And then you need to frequent that place of prayer. But now then, don't miss this. One of the most often questions I guess I'm asked by young men, and I, I don't mind being asked young questions by young men, but he has preacher, how much time do you spend in that place of prayer? Now, I want to say this. I know the Bible teaches us that there ought to be seasons of prayer, there ought to be time of prayer, and there's time to pray long. I will make this statement. You can't, you can't get wet unless you stand out in the rain a few minutes. But you can't stand out in the rain long without getting wet. If you're going to get God on you, you're going to have to hang around God a while, but you can't hang around God too long without getting God on you. Amen? 
There needs to be a time. It ought to be a regular, consistent time somewhere that our daily schedule that we go to our place of prayer with our petition to God and we pray and we pray and we pray and we spend time with God in prayer. But on the other hand, it's not just how long you stay in that prayer place. It's what you do the rest of the the day of your life. Walk with God all day. Go in communion all day. Be instant in prayer before God. Now, I don't think I've ever done what I'm fixing to do, but I'm going to take you with me to my prayer closet and my morning petitions before God. This is just the beginning of my prayer every morning. God loves us to pray the Bible. Now, after I've asked the Lord to forgive me my sins and I've acknowledged God and done some intro work, here's my petition for myself. I pray, first of all, and I use the Scripture, I pray, first of all, from Romans chapter 6, verse number 11. I ask the Lord every day to help me to reckon myself dead, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. That ought to be a daily reckoning of our life. You know what that means? Every day that I go to my place of prayer, I remember I'm crucified with Christ. I'm buried with Christ. I'm resurrected with Christ. I'm ascended in Christ. I'm seated in the heavens with Christ. And I calculate that to be true because it's the truth of God's Word. Number two, I ask the Lord to help me. Romans chapter 6, verse number 13, 14. Help me to not yield my members as instruments of unrighteousness unto God. But you, my members, as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, I paraphrase that verse of Scripture. I'm not playing the whole verse. Playing the whole verse. But that's it. I have to, I'm asking the Lord every day, Lord, don't let me yield my members to sin. But let me yield my members as servants of thine to righteousness. The third verse that I pray every morning, I pray Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to the mercies of God that you present your body. So I say, Lord, help me present my body today a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. And then I say, Lord, help me not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I know if you do a Greek study, you, have, you find the same word, but I like the King James wording of this. The first one, and I gave you in Romans chapter 6, the second one I gave you in Romans chapter 6, he said, yield your members. But boy, when you come to chapter 12, he just said, present your body. Not just members, the whole body. Every morning before I go out and face this world, I need to be reminded this body does not belong to me. The world wants to bring me in its mold and fashion me after its own design. But there's a God in heaven that has a will for my life, and if I will let Him, He will take my body and conform it to His own will and not to the Word of God. The fourth verse that I pray, I pray Isaiah 26 and 3, where the Bible said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. And so I ask the Lord, help me to keep my mind stayed upon you today that you might keep me in perfect peace. Of course, I probably don't have to preach that to you. All you fellows probably don't have any mind problem, but I have a battle with my mind. And then I ask the Lord to let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable when in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And by the way, that's not just begging God to accept my words and my thoughts. It's asking God that my words and my thoughts will be acceptable by Him. I don't want to say anything or think anything that is not acceptable by the Lord. You say, preacher, you accomplish that as far as I know I never have. But I still pray it, and I still strive toward it. And then after that, I ask him from Colossians chapter number three, verse number uh, what is it? Verse number three: Set your affections on things above. Help me to set my affections on things above, and not on things of this earth. I need that. You may not realize you need it, but you need it too. My affections are so prone to feed on the things of this world. So constantly, and by the way, that is not that is not see it or say it, it's say it. 
That means take hold of it and put it there. Set your affections on things of earth and not on things of this earth. I pray that every morning to the Lord. My next verse I pray is, is from Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number number 5, verse number 16. He said, and I don't, I don't quote all these chapter and verses, the Lord, so I'm having a little struggle getting them. But the Bible said this, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I ask the Lord every day, Help me walk in the Spirit that I might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm not boasting. I'm telling you in preparation. That's just part of my daily prayer. I don't think I've ever told this to anybody out open, you know, in, in, a, in a message like this. And then following that, I, pre- I go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11, down to verse number 18. And I ask the Lord to help me to put on the whole armor of God. Help me to have my loins girded up with truth. Help me to have the breastplate of righteousness. Help me to have my feet shot in the preparation of the gospel of peace. Then help me to take the shield of faith where I can quench all the fire dogs of wicked. Then help me to take the sword of the Spirit. Help me to take the helmet of salvation. Then help me to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hey, this is a battlefield and we need to put that on before we go out and face the world. Then I go verse number 18 of that same chapter. I asked the Lord to help me to be instant. I don't know where I picked this up at. I think Brother Milton Taylor heard make this little statement. I just adopted it. I asked the Lord to help me to be instant and constant in prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all supplication and perseverance for all saints. And then I close this segment of my prayer by asking the Lord with Solomon to give me wisdom an understanding of every situation that I face this day. And with that, I don't have a verse to go with this, but I ask the Lord every day to help me have the right attitude and the right answer of everything that I face this day. And can I make a statement? I am more interested in having the right attitude than I am having the right answer. I don't want the wrong answer. But I hope I don't have enough pride every once in a while to just say, I don't know. When it comes to an answer. I'm telling you, your attitude is determined by your gratitude. And your altitude is determined by your attitude. And we need an attitude that honors God in our life. Now, I want to make this statement. Brother Henry Miller, great man of God. Great man of prayer. And Brother Miller has told a story. Many of you heard him tell it. I'm probably not telling a lot of you anything new. Brother Mimi said they, they kept, the brethren kept asking him, write a book on prayer. I'd like to hear Brother Mimi tell about going down there and getting on the backside of that log. Must be his place of prayer. He used that illustration a lot. And he said, ask the Lord about it. And he said, didn't get no answer. And finally, I kept asking the Lord about it and said, the Lord told him, said, I'll let you write a book on teaching preachers how to pray and people how to pray. But you can only put two words in it. He said, I said two words. And he said, yeah, God said, write in that book, do it. There is no better teacher or instruction on praying than just practice it. Practice it. Now, I'm not talking about practice how you throw your voice or pitch your voice so somebody's going to be really impressed. But I'm talking about praying. You know, you know, really, can I just say this? Can I, I'm being mean, but I've got to be mean a minute. You know, if you pray, it shows. If you don't pray, it shows. I'm not being a smart lady, but you're wasting your time trying to impress me. You're a man of prayer if you're not. And if you are, you don't have to go around and tell nothing wrong about you testifying about your prayer life. Nothing wrong about you talking. I don't mean that wrong. But listen, if you've got to go around telling people you're a man of prayer, you're not much of a man of prayer. Amen. You can't hang around the throne of God long without the throne of God hanging around you. Amen. My dad used to say to me when I was a boy, he was talking, you know, I had those wrong thoughts like all boys have. And my dad used to say to me, son, you can't hang around the pole cats unless you start smelling like skunks. And friend, you cannot hang around God without God getting on you. Right. Amen. On 
our way up here. We did not have enough gas to get home tonight. We stopped and pumped some gas down there. And just holding the nozzle and squeezing it, I got the, mail, the smell of gasoline on my hand. Hey, I'm talking about the God that made gasoline. Amen. I'm down by the God that made it all. You can't hang around Him long without getting God on you. When you go to the place of prayer, don't leave till you know God's touched it. Amen. Fellas, if we're going to do anything for God, we have got to become men of prayer. One great author made this statement, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. A great preacher that's a small prayer will not do much for God. But a great prayer that may not be recognized as a great preacher will have a great impact in the sands of time of humanity. Fellows, develop your prayer life. If you don't have a place, I'd say even you kids, are you listening to me? Get your place to pray. It may be in the bathroom, maybe in the bedroom. I remember the first church I pastored from 65 to 70. We had three young girls that came and joined our church right in the beginning. We started the church and they came and joined our church right in the beginning. And the oldest of those three girls caught on to becoming a prayer warrior. She's about this time 15 years old when she caught on to it. And she got off the school bus and she had her a place in the woods there by the house. She called it her altar. I like that. And she'd go there every evening when she got home from school and pray for her preacher, her church, her family, you know, things that she was in need of. She still prays for me on a daily basis. I'm simply saying to you, get you a place to pray and frequent that place often. Let me make one more statement and then I'm going to move. This is maybe foolish in some people's ears, but it's, somebody needs to hear this. When you get in that secret place of prayer, don't hold back pouring it all out to God. I know this sounds kindergarten that I'd say this to you, and I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I can name it, I can point out every one of you and there's not a one of you that's got anything in your life that God don't already to know. But He's wanting us to confess it. Now, I'll tell you, you confess things long enough in front of God, it gets so embarrassing, you get ashamed to come back, you'll quit doing them after a while. Just name it. Name it. Name it. Don't go in there and forgive me all my sins. That is a good segment to pray. But I'm telling you, when you know the sins, deal with it on a personal basis. You know, I marvel that we preachers. We want our members to confess their sins one by one, but we don't want to name our own when we get in that secret place with God. Develop your prayer life. Number two, develop your knowledge of the Word of God. Now, I want to say this, and again, every man has his own method of study. You don't have to be like anybody else. But listen, don't be afraid to observe others and learn techniques of how to do the work of God in an effective manner. One of these men's done going to be with the Lord. I was with the other just recently, and I, I gave these men credit uh, while they were living. I'm giving credit to them on my book that I'm writing on 50 years in the ministry. I grew up in the church in a, just a typical country, Southern Baptist church over in Polk County, Tennessee, down in the southeast corner, where preachers preached against outline. I remember not long after I started using an outline, one of them came to hear me, and I pulled out an outline, and he stomped out and slammed the door. And he told somebody, I don't believe in using notes, and when I preach, I just preach out of my head. I went and heard him sometime later, and that's what he done. Preached out of his head. As though he was out of his head. He laughs about it now. He's a good brother, and we grew up. But I grew up in that kind. Now, I'm not saying you've got to literate. I'm not saying you've got to have points and subpoints. All that. But I'm telling you, you ought to have something that's going to guide you that you can follow. If you can't follow your own on your own outline, how do you expect people to follow you in the message? And don't get up and tell me you don't know where you're going, because I don't want to follow people that don't know where they're going. For you ever go to the pulpit, you ought to have a beginning place, the thrust of that message, and a closing. 
And you know, that's not outlawing the, Holy, outlawing the Holy Spirit at all. But you ought to recognize you've got a responsibility. God called us to preach, and a call to preach is a call to prepare. Study, study, study. Don't be afraid to see what somebody else says. Don't be afraid to what others do. I started telling this. I, I went to hear Brother Edgar Thomas. I met Brother Edgar when I was just a young man. I was pastor of my first church when I was, when I was Brother when I met Brother Edgar, so that means I was in my 20s. I was probably 26 or 12 or 7 when I met Brother Edgar. And just shortly thereafter, I met Brother Bob Darty. And I could go hear those men preach, and I could remember their outline days later. And can I tell you something? sounds awful to confess, and I, some, some of these other preachers would say the same thing. There are times I didn't remember on Tuesday what I preached Sunday night. I remember my text. Brother Bob Darty and Brother Edgar. Brother Edgar inspired me more, and I guess Brother Bob Darty sat down and taught me the value of outlining. Here's what he told me. I'm going to go ahead and sit in front of this before I went. Brother Bob told me, he said, Brother Cindy, here's what you do. You, you open up your, te- your subject as though you punched a hole in one orange, orange. And he said, you squeeze every drop of juice out you can get and enjoy it. While you're preaching them, and then you toss them the dried out orange and said, Now go chew on it all week. <laughs> but he said, If you'll open up four points, just give them a taste of it, throw it to them, and let them suck on it all week. They'll always remember things they find in the scripture better than things you told them. It's true. It's true. I mean, listen, I've heard some great men of God say some things, Brother Sam, but on that same subject, God gave me a little simple thought, and I wouldn't trade my little simple thought for all their profoundness. God gave it to me. God gave it to me. But then it gives me a guideline. It lets me know where I'm going. I'm not saying you've got to do it like I do it, and I'm not going to fuss if you don't outline. I'm just preaching what's on my heart tonight. You need to learn. It's your responsibility. You see, preaching is the art are the science of declaring the counsels of God in a comprehensible manner. What good have I done if I preached with great knowledge if the crowd didn't get it? Can I say it? Don't die on me now. What good have I done if I preach a shout it out and I run the aisles and I hoop it up and you hoop it up? But you don't know a thing I said. Now, this little caution is what's on my heart tonight. As you study, it's good to study books. It's good to study chapters. It's good to study thoughts. But I'm going to say to you, in your study, learn to study words. And learn to study phrases. I don't know if you've seen this or not. It doesn't matter. And I'm not saying it for publicity when I say this. When I was a young preacher, God gave me this thought. I think I preached it only one time. And in the just at the closing of my... Uh, being off the road for two months with this surgery, I woke up one morning. I was going down to Brother Tim McCulley's Jubilee on the Hill. And the Holy Ghost woke me up that morning before 6 o'clock and put me in the place of prayer. I didn't know what he's going to do, but I got in there. And he reminded me, Brother Tim, of that message. And I prayed, finished my prayers, and I jotted down a few thoughts. I'd never even looked up the old outline. I'd met him before the days I had outlines. I don't know. But I looked it up. And I went down there to that meeting, and I preached. Y'all are going to laugh, but you can laugh and get over it. I preached that morning on wonderful blessings from the word but. And it was 17 minutes. It was right nearly at lunchtime, and I wasn't able to preach a long time anyway. That thing is on Facebook. It's on, what's the other, YouTube. It's just, I don't know how many places and how many comments I've got about that message. But it's all centered on the word, but. Now somebody said, take Brother Blue to preach a message like that. Well, you could find something in there too. I'll tell you one good thing I learned. The word, but, is never followed by period. When you find the word, but, it literally means there's another side to the story. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. One word. Study those words. Study the phrases. Study the clauses. Be careful. There's this great sin, fellas. I'm afraid we're going to be embarrassed when we stand before the Lord at how much we read over. 
When you're studying, don't speed read. Watch for commas. Watch for colons. Watch for semicolons. Watch for periods. Watch for conjunctions. Watch for those prepositions. Every time I come up here and preach on missions, now concerning the collection for the saints. That one word for clearly identifies that that's not tithes. It's missions giving. Tithes are not collected for saints. They're collected from saints. But I'm saying to you, study the Bible, study words. Now, let me give you this, and I really encourage this while you're young. I have it in my book on, on advice from older preachers, younger preachers. And I want to say that if I've got enough in the car, if you don't care, I want to give all these young preachers a copy if they don't have that. I'll have to look and see. I may not have this many here, but I'd like to give you one. But I, I, I give the full formula in there. But if you're a young preacher not busy, here's a good way to get busy that will be profitable for you as long as you live. Start with the shorter books of the Bible. And the first week you read every, read all, you know, take the book of Ephesians, six chapters, read all six chapters every day for a week. The next week, read one chapter a day and try to write down some notes and thoughts from that chapter. don't have to be outlined yet. Just write down thoughts. Thirdly, read the same thing again. One chapter a day for a week. I mean, one chapter each day. And then try to outline at least three points of that chapter. The beginning part, the midsection, and the closing part. Do that every day. Add to it. Sub points. Just as you read it, it'll come to you. And then the fourth week, read it all, and, and, and if you're going to go my route, alliterate it, outline it, and you read it this manner, and be sure and always watch this. Think about preaching as you're outlining it. And I mean this when I say that. What would be the best way to enter into this? What would be the best way to close this out? You know, think of this. I say this in my sermon preparation series, which many of you have. But there's a lot of preachers that's helicopter preachers. They start flat on the ground and zoom to heaven. Go flat for a while and then straight down. I preached out in Myrtle, Mississippi last year. And I followed a man. I'm telling you, man, he's just up there. And he was running 100 miles an hour, so to speak. And we're just up there in glory. And he did this number right here. Watch me. He did this number right here. And walked off the stage. And the pastor said to me, difficult thing to follow. But it ought to be instead of like a helicopter. Our message ought to be like a 747. We ought to take off runway when we get them with us, get everybody boarded, soar into the heavens, and then we ought to land, not crash land. Build a message in that manner. You can learn to do it as you study. But as you study, And here's what would happen. If you follow what I just said, in one year, you can have 12 books of the Bible Listen to me. In one year, you could have 12 books of the Bible on paper or in your computer. And a lot of it be in your brain. You get a sudden rush of messages you've got to preach and ain't got time to dig and study. You can go back and you've got your own material. You don't have to buy Stinnett Blues outlines. You've got your own material. But develop a knowledge of the working of God. I want to make one more statement. Study the whole Bible and study enough to know. When you're rightly dividing the Word of Truth, there is no contradictions in the entire Word of God with what you're preaching. And some of you may know what I'm talking about. If you do, I'm not slandering, but it's a good example for me to make. I heard a man make a, preach a message one night, and as far as the message is concerned, it was a good, you know, applicable sermon message. But he preached on crossing Jordan was a type of salvation. And I'm telling you, you know, he laid out a good biblical message and presented it. But you know the problem that is? If crossing Jordan is a type of salvation, Moses didn't make it. He went to hell. You know, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? There are not be, if that message is contradicted by other truths, you've got the wrong interpretation and the wrong illustration or application in that message. But weigh your message in the light of the whole Bible. But, fellas, develop it. It's Bible preaching ministry. I got a note some time ago. One of our students who was in the first graduating group of our class, first few groups, wrote me back a note. And he said, Brother Blue, perhaps the best thing that I remember that you told me was you told us more. He said, cram your message full of Bible. Yes, sir. Can I make this statement? If you preach mean, 
and delight in it, somebody will be meaner than you are. So you're knocked out. If you preach sweet, somebody will preach sweeter than you do, and you'll lose out there. If you preach loud, somebody will be louder than you. If you preach long, somebody will be longer. If you preach short, somebody will be shorter. But if you preach the Bible, there's no competition. And you will always have somebody wanting to hear you preach. If they know when they're going to sit down, they'll get to hear something from the Word of God. One other statement. I've got to go this last thing. I exhort you. I admonish you. I almost want to command you, but I don't know I have that authority to. One of the greatest things you can do as a young preacher is have your messages recorded and then go home and critique them. And then ask yourself, if I were a church member sitting in the pew listening to that, would I come back next Sunday to hear that again? Would I come back tonight to hear that again? I wonder if you could build a church on a diet like that. I mean, not just one message. Listen to yourself over and over again. You see, we don't preach just to feel good. I enjoy feeling good. But listen, that, that, that's not it. We preach for the development of saints and the deliverance of sinners. And we ought to preach in a, as effective as God would allow us to for the glory of God. Let me give you this last one. And I'm through. I don't even know what time I started. But we need a knowledge of the working of the Spirit of God. And I, I have my book on the Holy Spirit. I've preached a series on it. Most of you have heard it, so I'm not going to... But I, there's one segment, Brother Tim, I really feel like God wants me to give tonight. You preachers and everybody here, there are some things that the Holy Spirit must do because we can't do them. Learn this lesson, please. In the work of God, in the ministry, in pastoring the church, in whatever you're going to do. Uh, and, and Brother Sam, I only know kind of yours. Brother Biggs, you pastor. You pastor. Brother Rick, you pastor. And, but in pa- you pastor, Brother. Uh, and I don't know you other fellows' background. But listen, when it comes to pastoring, there's an element of pastoring that belongs to God. We call it God's part. You can't do it. But there's an element of pastoring that's your part, and God won't do it. That's true in every aspect of our life. The ministry you have there is that ministry. The work that I do out in, in missions, I've I got to realize there's an element of it I cannot do. There's a part of it that God won't do. That's my part. I can do that. But there's an element of it I cannot do. So, fellas, here's five things I want you to remember about this need of being filled with the Spirit of God. And by the way, this is part of my prayer every day. I pray every day of my life for God to fill me. For the Holy Ghost. You say, well, preacher, I got filled the other day. Well, I hate to bust your balloon, but you probably leak. If you don't, somebody will rub you the wrong way and tilt you, and you'll lose it. You know what being filled is. It's a constant. It's a continuous inflow producing a continuous overflow that produces a continuous outflow. It's something that we must have constantly going in our life. Write these down, and I'm through. Number one, we've got to realize that only the Holy Spirit can convict of sin. Now, I feel like I need to take a minute there. I hope everyone of you understand what I'm saying and you agree with what I'm fixing to say. If you don't, I want you to listen and learn what I'm fixing to say. I feel like it's my responsibility when I come to this pulpit or when I'm witnessing one-on-one to an individual. It's my responsibility to do everything in my power to convince them they need the Lord and to come to the Lord. But I must realize that there is an element of reaching sinners with the gospel that man cannot do. We call it Holy Ghost conviction. The Bible describes it as this. Godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation that needeth not to be repented of. If he don't do that, they will never truly be saved. It takes the power of the Holy Ghost to convict of sin. Closely related, write this down. Number two, it takes the power of the Holy Ghost to convert sinners. Can I say the same thing I just said? Every time I preach, and I know there's lost people in the service, I ought to do my, can I say, my dead level best, my utmost. Can I use language we understand? To preach that fellow to the altar. I drove into Mississippi a few weeks ago to begin a meeting, and 
The pastor talked to me before I came, and he said, Brother Blue, it's mission meeting, but we had six saved last Sunday night. We have lost people planning on coming tomorrow. And I asked the Lord to give me a message that I could deal with both missions and lost people at the same time. And God did that. And when I, when I got there that morning, sometime and maybe between Sunday school and church, he slipped up to me and he said, they're here. I'm telling you, I preached toward that, not just looking at I didn't know exactly who it was, but from my heart to reach out, I've done everything I could do in my power to show them their need of a Savior and show them how awful hell was and how wonderful heaven was and how great God is. And God saying something that morning, I give God the glory. But I'm simply saying to you, we ought to preach like it all depends upon us. We ought to preach like if they go to hell, it's my fault. But at the same time, we need to preach aware of the fact there is a space in there of being saved. That's that sinner and God alone. Man can't do it for God or for the sinner. It's got to be between them and God. Number three, write this down. Only the power of the Holy Ghost can conduct the service. Very simple, but I want to tell you, fellas, there are none of us. Brother Tim, I say it with utmost respect, but you don't know how to conduct this. Fifty years, last September, I've been preaching. I don't know how to conduct this. Now, I want to make this clear. Making that statement does not mean that God is the author of all the fanaticism and the funnyism that goes on in churches today. We've got a group of Baptist preachers that everything that, odd, that is odd is supposed to be a God. But I want to tell you, God's not always odd. God's a God of order. But only the Holy Ghost knows, can I just say things we're used to? Who needs to sing? What they need to sing? Who needs to testify? What they need to say? Who needs to preach? What they need to preach? I've got to tell this, and it sounds so mean to me. I embarrass myself telling this, but it's a true story. I drove into a town up in the city, a city up in the state of Virginia to preach a meeting, and I started on Sunday night. We met outside. It was warmer weather. We talked outside a little bit. We started in the starting time. We came through the door and down the aisle. When, I don't remember which aisle we came down. Down the aisle, the pastor elbowed me walking down the aisle, and he made this statement. He said, you notice we didn't pass out a menu. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. A program. An outline of the service. He said, we believe in being left alone. I said, I like that too. I'm glad you didn't. I preached that night. About as dead as I've ever been and nothing happened. And Tuesday night we walked in and he said it again. Monday night said it again. Tuesday night he said it the third time. Wednesday night and I got in the pulpit. I said, you folk talk about the first Baptist passing out menus. Y'all worse than them. You've got yours memorized. <laughs> At least they change theirs every once in a while. The average Baptist church, if you're a regular Kennedy, you can miss a service and look at your watch and name three people and three things of what's happening and hit it on the head. Again, God's a God of order. I'm not talking about being disordered. The Bible says that everything be done decent in the order. I'm simply saying that we need to recognize we need the direction of the Holy Spirit to conduct the service. Wednesday, I spent the day with the Lord. Pardon me, Thursday, I spent the day with the Lord in that same meeting. And God showed me some things that I didn't like seeing. I went to church that night knowing, Brother Tim, if I preached them, half of them would get mad. I don't like people getting mad at me. Contrary to popular opinion, I don't like people getting mad at me. I prayed. I spent most of the day in the motel room praying, sought God. I went to the pulpit that night determined, Lord, if this is what you order, I'm going to do my best to be obedient. They had a young lady in that church. Her first name was Terry. That's all I know. And here's the way they did in that service. You know, pastors do it different. You don't got to do it no certain way. But the pastor chair sat back here, and you know, the two chairs sat back here like this. The piano set is this one. There's only over here in this section at an angle like that. And this young lady, Terry, stood on the other end of the piano and sang. She sang a special just about every night. What the pastor always did before the last special, 
He'd call me onto the stage, onto the, onto the podium. And he'd say, Brother Blue, you come on up here and get ready to preach. So-and-so's going to sing our last number. Brother Blue, you just take the service and preach. So I'm sitting over here getting ready to preach, knowing what's fixing to happen if I preach. That, and that pianist plays that introduction, and it comes time for Terry to sing, and nothing. The pianist being a good accompaniment coming with a second round of intro. It got time for that first word. And I heard something. I wish I could do it like it sounded that night. But I heard something that was going. <laughs> and she broke down to cry. Man, I jumped up. I hadn't seen nothing like that in a week. All I'd seen was yawning. When she finally regained her composure, she said, I was thinking today, I want to thank the Lord for my church. I want to thank the Lord for my preacher, his family, church family, she mentioned. I want to thank the Lord for my family. <laughs> and she just lost it again. It's rather large. I mean, honestly, it was twice the size of this sanctuary or bigger. Back in the back, a fellow must have been 55 years old, jumped up and said, It's strange she said that. Today I was just thinking how much I thank God for my family, my church, and my preacher and his family. That went on to five minutes till nine. You know what I was going to preach on? Pastor-church relationship, partner-companion relationship, parent-child relationship. You know what I found out? They said things about them a lot worse than I was going to say. And got glad saying it. If I'd have said it, they'd have gotten mad. But when I got willing to obey God, then the Holy Ghost took the service and done what I could not do. Number four, write this down. It takes the power of the Holy Ghost not only to convict the sin, convert the sinner, conduct the service, but it takes the power of the Holy Ghost to comfort the saints. Can I tell you, whatever about it, listen to me just a moment. I don't always do this. I need to do it. I don't always do this. Preachers, every time we all walk in this pulpit, we ought to recognize every person here needs something from God. And my yieldedness to the Holy Spirit can determine that person getting what they need. Or my not being yielded and sensitive can mean they may leave still now, congregation, you think about this. You think your pastor don't have a tough time sometimes? He knows your needs. He's got to preach something to help you without being personal. He's got to address your issue even if it's bad without you feel like he's just attacking. Now, Brother Tim, the amazing thing is how many people God ministers to the things we don't even know. Even you younger men have witnessed this. I've experienced it many times. I've been standing back there shaking hands. I usually always go back. Let me tell you why I go back there and shake hands. If you don't go, if you stay up here at the front, some visitor is not concerned in that meeting. They've got their own personal thing. Come down here and tie you up and you don't get the fellowship with none of them. So I always just go back there and shake hands. And if they won't come by and talk while I'm shaking hands, but I get to greet the people that I preach to while uh, I'm listening to that person talk. But I've gone back there and shook hands with you fellows have had it happen some, but I've had it happen because of my age more than you have. I've had them come by and shake my hand, sir, and say, that one was for me. That was just what I need. I've had to make the statement when you got on this situation here, Brother Blue, I felt like it was nobody but just you, God, and me in the whole service. They'll leave fed. Or they'll leave hungry. And if we'll let God, He will comfort and meet their needs through the preaching of the Word of God. Number five, and I'm through. It takes the power of the Holy Ghost to convict the sin, convert the sinner, conduct the service, comfort the saints. Number five, it takes the power of the Holy Ghost to conquer Satan. I drove into a city one day, began a revival meeting. And uh, it was on Sunday afternoon. I preached that morning on my way up. It was, it was uh, up in another state. And then I met the pastor. Just We went to church and then went out to get us a bite to eat at some just hamburger joint that was open there in that little town at the church that night. We got our order in and sat down, started our meal, had the blessing, started our meal. And uh, I said to him, you know, conversation. I said, well, 
What you been doing? And I probably would have said the same thing to him he said to me. He said, fighting the devil. I said to him, just thought, what are you doing that for? He said, I thought I was supposed to. I said, well, I hate to tell you, you will lose. Because we are no match for the devil. But the Holy Ghost knows how to conquer Satan. I'll give you this one Bible illustration, and I am through. Somebody said, you said you're closing five times. Baptist love closings. I try to get five times. You remember when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and Mary is there washing, anointing the Lord's feet with that ointment and Judas is carried who in many ways is a type of the devil began complaining about it. Of course, it's an act of worship. And any time you really worship, the devil's going to complain about it. Yeah, yeah. And the Lord, are you listening to my just country language? The Lord let him rave for a little while. And finally, Jesus said to Judas, let her alone. She's done what she could. Can I paraphrase that? The Lord said to the devil, shut your mouth! Daniel, get your hands off her! I believe in the working of God. There are times that God allows the devil to rave and ramp on us for a period of time. I'm so glad the Holy Ghost can say to the devil, Back off of that preacher! Back away from that family! Leave that person alone! Shout out! Leave him alone! And the devil, may I say it, please let me say it, like a scolding dog has to tuck his tail and walk away. The devil has to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. Fellas, can I thank you for letting me preach this to you tonight? Amen. I never preached what I preached tonight in just a message like this. We use this thing as an outline for the introduction of our Bible college, as I said earlier. But that's what God put on my heart to Amen. preach to you and all of you. Brother Tim, I sure love you and love the church. Thank you for what God's doing here. Let's stand together, please, if the musicians would come. Maybe just some music would be fine for invitation. If we could get somebody to the piano. The altar's open. If you need to come and talk to the Lord, you'll be obedient to God. Mind the Lord. Sister, just whatever you want to play is fine. I say what I say tonight to these preachers, to every one of you and every one of us. We need to develop our prayer life. We need to develop our Bible study. And we need to develop our understanding of the working of the Spirit of God. She's playing. Do you need to join these that are praying? If so, come. You ladies can come too. You need to come. Be obedient to God. Be obedient to God. Be obedient to God. Mind the Holy Spirit. Mind the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, God of all grace, God of all mercy, but Thou, O God, art a God full of compassion, long-suffering, gracious, plenteous in mercy and in truth. Lord, You know I do not consider myself to be any better than any of these young men here tonight. Lord, tonight it fell my lot to charge them. And I pray that the Holy Ghost will use what's been given out in this hour as a long-time memory-bound message that will be brought to our remembrance again and again and again. And Lord, I simply ask you tonight, myself included, develop all of us into the preacher that you had in mind for us to be when you saved us and called us. Lord, I love the approval of men. 
But I'm not looking for the approval of man anymore. I'm looking for the approval of God. Lord, you put me in the ministry. You gave me the Bible and commissioned me and commanded me to go preach it. One day, dear Lord, I'll carry this old book back to your presence. I don't want to return what you gave me to carry. Condemned. Embarrassed that I didn't do my best for the Lord. Oh, God, we cannot go back and relive prior years. The Lord, beginning tonight, we can set a challenge and accept a challenge from the Holy Ghost to be all you want us to be. Thank you for each of these men. Thank you for their message tonight. Thank you for them being here. Thank you, the Lord, for the ministry some are already involved in. Some, dear Lord, yet are seeking your will. I pray, dear Lord, for divine direction and protection on their lives and upon the church here, from this pastor and his family. Lord, I pray for their wives and their families, dear Lord, of these men of God. Lord, I love you. If I die tonight, Lord, I die a satisfied customer of the Lord Jesus Christ. I borrow the words of Pilate, dear Lord, and say I find no fault in him at all. I'd rather be an old-time Christian and an old-fashioned preacher, serving in the kingdom of God than to be the king on the throne of any kingdom in this world. Give our pastor wisdom, dear Lord, to finish the hour tonight. Give us safety as we journey home. It will be done in our life. We'll praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Amen. Brother Tim's going to come. Brother Tim, it's today. They're going through the week. If you can go down and be that, it's a great meeting. I don't say it's great because what I'm fixing to say, Lord, when I'll be there Tuesday night preaching, I'll hope to be there another time or two before I fly out on Wednesday to Baton Rouge.